Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. We've been spending our time the last few weeks in Ephesians mostly, and we've been looking at uh, the series called Powerful Me, and we've been, we've been trying to examine how God sees us. And so that we can see ourselves the way God sees us and that be the basis of our self-esteem. We, I believe that's just a healthy way to go about getting a solid basis for self-esteem. A couple of weeks ago, last I spoke with you, we finished looking at his, uh, Paul's opening to the letter of Ephesians where he has this long bursting sentence of worship and he describes who God is in so many amazing ways. And today we're going to continue to look at his introduction to this letter, but he transitions from this point of this bursting worship to praying. And it's kind of this mix of where he's praying for the Ephesian churches. He's praying for us today, but he's also talking about how he prays. And and in that, he continues this theme of how we learn to see God and see ourselves the way he sees us. And in that, we realize how powerful of a base for life we can live from. N.T. Wright actually looks at the passage in particular that we're looking at today and says that this really describes the theme for the entire book of Ephesians, which is all about power, God's power, and living in that power for becoming powerful people because we follow him. Thus our our title, Powerful Me, for the series. Let's read the text today, verse 15. For this reason... Because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And just like his beginning sentence of worship, Paul continues to like really long sentences. Paul revisits in this passage and ex- actually expands some of the same themes that we'd already dealt with in the, in, in the previous part of his introduction, specifically the idea of this inheritance that God gives us and how sure that is. But rather than spend time revisiting some of those themes that we've already dealt with, I want to look at this passage today from a little bit different perspective. I want to look at it from the perspective of what Paul is practicing here, what he's actually modeling for us. And specifically, what he's modeling for us is some ideas about how we pray, how we have conversation with God, what that looks like. Now, I think it's likely that all of us in here probably share some similar ideas about what prayer is. Some of us in here are probably a little bit mystified by prayer and we struggle with the idea of what prayer is and how to practice. And I think for all of us, regardless of where we're at, we have these times in life where prayer is just challenging. It's difficult. We 
things aren't right in life and we feel a little bit disingenuous in our relationship with God because we feel tension in that relationship or we feel hollow. And I think our ability to stay in a vibrant place of engaged conversation with God and relationship with Him is not something we master in life. Rather, actually, I think it's just something we monitor in order to grow. We all go through ups and downs. I mean, I went through a little bit of a down period around the Christmas holidays. Prayer for me became this thing that felt a little bit more functional. It was, instead of intimate and relational, it felt like I was never leaving work behind for some reason, having a hard time separating myself from what I do here and my own relationship with God. And it just became functional. I think that's easy for all of us to experience. Prayer so easily becomes functional. It becomes this thing we do when we go to bed or when we wake up or this thing we do at the table or this thing we do when we put our kids to bed, or it, or it, becomes, uh, it becomes something we do when we go to church, or it becomes functional in the fact that it, it really just gets focused on as a part of one of the fixes to the problems of life. God, help me get well. I'm sick. God, help me make this sale today. God, help me in my relationships with my family. And it just kind of becomes this functional fixed thing in life. Paul actually in this passage deals with us and kind of gives us a road map for dealing with that tendency, that struggle we face in our own prayer life. Uh, he actually brings it out in the text as one of the primary goals of what prayer is about. And the text says it this way. It says that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. Now, this concept of seeing with our heart it's actually a very commonly talked about biblical idea. In fact, the Bible is so serious about this and how, saying how important it is that it basically teaches us that without being able to see with our heart, we will be unable to realize all that God is thinking about us, wanting for us, and how he's trying to lead us in life. We won't be able to see it. So then we have to ask the question, how do we see with the eyes of our heart? And that's it's kind of a nebulous question, isn't it, right? I mean, okay, so let's look at what Bible means by heart. The Bible, when it talks about heart, oftentimes the definition of it is that it's, it encompasses our mind, will, and emotions. But the Bible goes well beyond that in describing what this seeing with our heart is. It's, it's the seeing God. It's this seeing a spiritual reality in life, whatever that seeing looks like. And the Bible actually gives us many different ways that that seeing looks like as well. Uh, for example, uh, you can have in the Bible examples where you learn that you, you are led, that you see with the eyes of your heart by being led by this sense, this tangible sense of peace from God that confirms a decision or a direction in your heart that you know it's right to go down that. There's examples all over in the Bible about experiencing different sensations, whether it's an emotional or physical sensation. You have examples where people felt warmth and they refer to it as the fire of God. There's this feeling of warmth that comes on them. You have feeling, examples of people actually uh, falling down in the presence of God and all sorts of different ways that people discerned a spiritual reality that God was speaking to them. You have things as simple as uh, people understanding parts of Scripture that they did not understand before because God all of a sudden brings the light on and makes you connect with it as a whole being and how it makes sense. We have examples in the Bible of people being given visions or dreams or mental images or pictures or even for that matter we have examples of people uh, discerning the spiritual reality and seeing with their heart through objects 
lessons where uh, people, prophets or somebody, acted something out or, or God led people on to do certain behaviors. And then afterwards, he pointed out that what he led them through was a metaphor that he wanted to speak to them through. We see examples of that. We even see in Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel them claiming to have seen God himself. Uh, Brad Jerzak talks about it this way. He says, spiritual sight is not merely important. It's absolutely critical to knowing Christ and walking in his kingdom. In the scripture, the word behold or beheld, he says, is used nearly 1,400 times. And it simply means look or pay attention to something. On occasion, behold does refer to physical sight, but most often, he says, behold in its context means open the eyes of your heart. And it's one of these kind of funny things that we have a hard time defining, but actually we sing about it, right? If you've been in church for a very long time, you've sung, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, right? We've sung that song, and we want to talk about seeing God and his power, his love, and his glory. Paul says, as he's teaching us about prayer, by both modeling it and kind of talking about it at the same time in this text, that he said the goal of prayer is to know Jesus better, and the starting place is this idea of being able to see him with our heart. It's all about relationship with God that he's talking about. So let's, let's maybe back away from it a second and try to understand what this seeing with our heart is from the relationship perspective. And let me do that by asking you some questions. How do you experience relationship with other people? Uh, maybe a little more beyond that, how do you experience a relationship with those persons in your life with whom you fall in love? Your spouse, your children, that friend who is so dear to you that you can't imagine doing life without them. Those experiences are not purely rational experiences, are they? Right? I mean, if they were, it would be like uh, the recent Star Trek movie where you heard a kiss of Spock and he's sitting there coldly analyzing. Anybody seen that movie? And it's just kind of this awkward moment in the movie, right? Because we all know that emotion or physical experience is a very real part of relationship. And certainly relationships are not all about emotion, not all about physical feelings, but emotionless relationships are really bad, right? We would all agree on that. Heart, one aspect of it, is connecting through physical and emotional experience. And Paul is modeling for us here that in order for us to even start in prayer, we need to have an awareness of what's going on inside of it. Now, we're going to come back to that in a moment, but let's, let's skip over to another famous character in the Bible, David. The Bible talks about David, and it says, David is a man after God's own heart. Now, what is the hallmark of David's life as a human being, and guys, as a man's man. The hallmark of his life is the fact that he was in touch with his emotions and his inner world, and he brought God into that place and that part of his life with him. I'm not saying this is a Valentine's gift to my wife, although she would say to me, man, I wish you'd be more in touch with your emotions on a regular basis. But yes, ladies, you can pay me for saying it later. Guys, I'm wired as much as any of you to be a person who's unaware of what's going on internally. I don't think, I, I, I doubt there's very many people who probably are wired in a way with as much, as much struggle as I've had in my life to be aware of what's going on internally. But before I lose you, because I don't want this to just be a touchy-feely moment, and guys, we don't want that, right? 
Let's jump down to where this all fits for all of us, not just men, but women as well. An awareness of our inner world is not just about touchy-feely. It's not just about emotions, although it is being aware of those things. It is also being aware of that self-talk thoughts that go on. It's a being aware of those emotions. It's being aware of those core beliefs, those things that drive our motives, that go on that we tend to not pay attention to. Let me ask you this. Do you ever find it difficult to pray? Am I the only one that finds it difficult? Do you ever wonder if praying is going to do any good? And so you either don't pray or you pray and you feel hollow, you feel forced, it feels fake, you feel like you have to work it up. What's behind that difficulty for you? Well, I want to submit to you that it's those deep thoughts, that self-talk, those beliefs, those feelings that you are not fully aware of all the time. Those feelings about who you are, those beliefs about who you are, those beliefs about who God is, and they all, as Paul actually says in direct relation to this verse, affect your hope level. You know, it's those things that... We say, I don't feel genuine, I don't feel authentic, I don't feel clean, I don't feel good enough, I messed up too much today, or I don't trust God or believe God enough that He's going to be good, good, or I think my problem is too puny for Him to deal with, or whatever those thoughts are that keep us from praying, we decide not to pray, or if we decide, or if we do pray about them, we feel forced, or we feel hollow, or we feel distant. Now, most of us have been taught and done a really good job of learning how to not pay attention to those things and how to actually not pay attention to the inner world. Not just men, but there's a lot of women here who have learned to not pay attention to that inner world. We have trained ourselves just to move on and get something done because life doesn't stop. We don't make money if we don't get this task done and we keep moving. We've got to keep moving. The stress and the pace and the demand of our life, of our family, whatever else, does not afford a lot of time to sit and stop. And when we don't take time to be aware of the inner world, we end up in this place of disconnected dryness, just like I did at Christmas. Paul is writing for us this lesson from a very difficult place in his life. He's writing it from prison. And yes, we know at the moment that he was in prison in this particular writing of this letter that it was a minimum security house arrest type of a feel of things. But he was very actually just a matter of weeks or months away from his court date at this point. And he knew that at any moment that court ruling could come back and he could be beaten or killed. There was a lot of tension and difficulty and stress in his life at that moment. And he's saying the starting place of prayer is not asking for what we need, but the starting place of prayer and vital relationship with God is bringing God into our inner world to enlighten it, to enlighten you, to free you, to restore you in that place, to experience his Holy Spirit coming in and making sense out of the stuff that we're not always paying attention to. It doesn't mean we have to be highly touchy-feely, guys. What it means is we do 
create habits of quieting ourselves, whether it is uh, finding some time to get away all by ourselves or whether it's just simply riding the elevator or walking down the hall between meetings and taking a moment to look inward in our hearts and checking in to see what's going on. Where's this headache coming from? Where's this tension coming from? Where's this pit in my stomach coming from? What does it mean? What's going on? And inviting Jesus to be in that moment with us, just asking him questions when we're doing that. Where are you, Jesus, right now in this? What's going on inside of me right now? What, what do you want to speak to me? How do you want to make sense out of this? And then pondering and listening. You know, I think we look at Paul and some of the biblical characters like when they're in prison and going through difficult times like this and they come out of those times and they, they say these amazing things of worship and these amazingly confident prayers and I think we think they're different than we are. I think we think they're some kind of super saint. But I actually think they're a whole lot more like you and I than we want to admit. More like, I think Paul's more like David, where he's probably woke up that morning and he probably spent some time looking at his inner world, going, I'm waking up today, God, and I'm really anxious and I'm worried. And I don't know whether this guard's going to beat me today or whether I'm going to get crucified today. I don't know what this day is going to be like, but I'm going to bring this to you. And I'm really frustrated because I want to go minister. I want to do all these things, and I can't do them because I'm right here, right now. What's this all about, God? I have a feeling he probably spent the morning doing that. And then he wrote this letter to us, much like David does in the Psalms, where he gets his anger out about the injustice. He gets the unfairness out. He gets the pain he's experiencing out. He gets his disappointment with God out, and then he praises him as well. We think we're so weak in our faith so many times because we think these guys are different than us. And we have these doubts and we have these anxieties and we have these fears and we have these tension headaches and we don't know what to do with them. And I think we're a lot more like them than we realize. Paul learned the habit of letting God into his inner world rather than let the inner world tension prevent him from praying. And he invites us to do the same thing. See, we often think of prayer primarily as asking God for stuff, as petition. But Paul says if we want to start in prayer, we want to start with God enlightening our hearts, God connecting to us and speaking to us about where we are at right now in the moment. But Paul doesn't leave us navel-gazing. I know that's a big concern. You're probably hearing this. Oh, man, we just got to look inward all the time. He doesn't leave us navel-gazing, and he doesn't actually leave us even in this model of, of just in this contemplative, quiet, mystical place of prayer. He actually goes on and models us for us another step, and we're just going to call that step today declarative prayer. Paul prays boldly and declaratively over people. If we look at this text, there's really strong words. There's confident words being stated in here. He says, I do not cease praying that God, he goes on, and a little later, may give you that you may know. And then he goes on and says, hope, glorious inheritance, immeasurable greatness, power, far above, putting all things under Jesus' feet, so that you, his body, would be the fullness of him in this earth. He's declaring confidently truth over the people he spent several years with and loves so dearly as the church in Ephesians. And he's declaring it over us. When is the last time you prayed that boldly for yourself or for others? i got to admit, over Christmas, I found it really hard to declare anything. I mean, because 
I wasn't feeling it. And none of us wants to, wants to have a faith that we don't feel, that we don't line up with integrity or where we don't feel authentic. But Paul in prison chooses to authentically deal with his inauthenticity, the struggles he has, and then, and especially when you're going through difficult times, choose to declare confidently God's truth in prayer over yourself and over other people. Now, I'm a quiet person. I don't talk a lot other than you might accuse me of talking a lot up here and going long some days, right? But I'm generally speaking an introvert. I'm not a real talkative person. I'm definitely not a person who gets up and wants to declare a lot of stuff. I mean, if you want to come pray with me, and I'd welcome you to come do that when we do some of our group prayer times around Quest. My favorite thing is to actually sit and listen to everybody else pray and figure out what God might be saying about the church and about where he's leading us through how he's prompting other people to stay. And I'd just as soon stay quiet. I'm a quiet person, but Paul reminds me, and he reminds you, especially you who are uncomfortable being bold and being declaring, that we need to declare the truth in prayer. That's part of what prayer is about. That's an important part of what prayer is. And whether you declare that verbally by yourself while you're praying and nobody else is around or declare it in your car when everybody can just think you're weird talking to yourself or whether you pray with other people and you declare it in front of them or whether you write it in declarative fashion in your journal. God wants us to speak the truths over ourselves over our family. This is the prayer that establishes identity. Paul worshipped God. In that worship moment that we've seen, he realized how beautiful it was to be in him, how God has given every spiritual blessing because we're his kids, how we are the most prized possession that he would run into a burning house and we'd be the one thing he'd bring out. We're heirs. And he turns around then and he prays that we would become that Truth embodied. How would your family members, how would your neighbors who are caught in addiction, your co-workers whose marriages are in trouble and from the pain of unhealthy marriages, how would they think about themselves if they knew these truths of how much God deeply and extravagantly loves them how they have an inheritance and a plan that's beautiful from God and His immeasurable power is behind them, assuring them that He will get them to the end result no matter how difficult life is. Paul prays over his friends, declares over the church, you and I, that we would walk fully confident in the power that he said God is making available to us. When is the last time you declared in prayer God's truth that way over yourself, over your kids, over your family, over your spouse, over your friends at work? I don't really take that away from this, but I take something else away. This identity-shaping prayer that Paul is modeling for us happens in such natural ways. Look at how he begins the text. He says this, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord and uh, Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you. 
Let me rephrase that in maybe different, more common words. Basically, what he's saying is, because of how amazing God is and how beautiful and strong your faith is and your love toward everyone, I can't help but smile and give God thanks for you. And I remember you and how faithful you are and how much you love like Jesus loves. And what's he doing? I mean, this is not a perfect church. They've got lots of errors. What's he doing? Paul is looking past those things, and in prayer, he's declaring, he's speaking to the best of who they are and the best of God's intentions for who they are going to become, where God is taking them. When is the last time you prayed that way for people? And we could even take it a step further. When's the last time you did that without even using the G word over somebody who didn't know you were praying over them? You can do this kind of thing in the closing line of an email to a work colleague and just affirm and say things that are in line with God's view of them and never use the G word. They don't even know you're praying over them. You can do this around your house with your with your spouse or your friends or your kids and, and you can just declare over them God's view of them. And you know what? Even if you don't use the G word, even if you don't bring up the idea of faith, at some point, you're probably going to be able to bring up that idea with them because who doesn't love somebody speaking to the best of who you are and calling you to the best of who God thinks of you? And someday they're going to come back and say, why do you think this? And you're going to be able to say, because this is how I see you and this is how God sees you. And you're going to be able to rock their world to take them out of a place where they see God as somebody they have to perform for and be good enough for. And all of a sudden they go, this is the way God sees me. I am so securely loved. And that conversation becomes real. Calling them through words of affirmation in line with how God sees them. You know what? When I find myself hesitant to declare in prayer, it's a warning sign that I haven't done the first part of what Paul taught here. That I have, because, because declaring is bold. It takes courage. It takes confidence. And when I'm angry, when I'm confused, when I'm frustrated, when I don't want to declare, when I feel hollow or disingenuous in my prayers, it means I haven't done the first part. And Paul models for us that he doesn't want us to let that difficulty be a landing place for us. Instead, he wants us to deal honestly and then act. When you look at the whole of Scripture, David's sense of faith and identity was shaped so much in these pivotal moments where he was utterly honest with God about his disconnect and his difficulty and yet still declared the truth of how God saw him, how God, how he saw God, and who God was over the people of Israel in his circumstances. Paul actually goes on to expand this discussion and use another term that uh, we oftentimes talk about as spiritual warfare. In uh, verse 19 it says this, and, and I pray that you will understand what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now, we call this uh, spiritual warfare just kind of a term in the church that's used to describe what Paul is talking about here. And the terms that he uses, especially in verse 21, are talking about political power. And they're talking about the power of cultural ideas and paradigms, the things that we were raised in that may not be right, they may be wrong, and also evil spiritual forces at work in the world today. 
And Paul is inviting us through praying this way to be spiritual warriors, declaring truth, discerning lies, and to join intentionally in this battle with the one who is so powerful, so authoritative, so far immeasurably beyond everybody else that we need to have absolutely no fear to engage in this kind of prayer boldly. Actually, Paul begins, if you look really closely at the Ephesians text, Paul begins and ends Ephesians with this whole spiritual battle theme. And uh, we're going to look at uh, uh, chapter 6, the end of it, later in more detail, but I just want to look at one thing there. Paul actually uses the image of the armor of God as a metaphor. And he says this about it. He says, you need to put it on. There's... Our prayer life has to have an intentionality to it. It's something that we have to pick up these truths and put them on on a regular daily basis. We pick them up and we put them on. We declare them over ourselves and we declare them over others. Going back to chapter 1 where he introduces this theme or in our text right now, Paul also talks about the real purpose of spiritual warfare. And it's not to take authority over the enemy. That's actually a consequence of doing what he says. What he says in this passage as a priority for spiritual warfare, the purpose of it is for us to discover the sovereignty, the majesty, the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the surety of his love, the absolute security of his guaranteed inheritance, to even when we don't feel like it, when we're facing evil or or, or difficulty or harm, for us to move in the opposite spirit to that, the spirit of love and grace and kindness. To refer to Paul's words later, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can separate us from the love of God? Prayer, spiritual warfare, is you intentionally putting on, you intentionally receiving what God is giving you. And what God is giving you is tremendous favor. and an intention, He has an intentional bias towards you. God is giving you spiritual blessings. You are His sons and daughters. He's this majestic inheritance. You're His prized possession that He'll go after no matter what cost to Him. God is biased towards you. A bias of love and a favor. And finally, Paul teaches us one last really important lesson about prayer and about our powerful identity and where it's found. He says it's basically not an individualistic thing that we treat it as so often. We treat identity as something about me. Paul says in verse 22, he says this, and he says, And he put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What he's saying there is that you and I together as his church are the fullest expression of who he is in all of his power. The powerful me, this powerful sense of living that we want to have individually, this identity God wants us to walk in is inextricably tied to who we are together as the people who make up his church. And the question that Paul poses in the way he teaches us to pray here as he prays over the Ephesian church, as he by extension prays over us, is will we also contend? Will we declare? Will we fight for in prayer and in relationship to become the church he wants us to become? Paul opens this section saying we need to unceasingly contend for these truths to become the fabric of 
of our lives. Will we pray? Will we declare? Will we expect? Will we believe that God will do amazing things through us together who call this our church, who he's called together for this, that he cannot do individually? I see us, Quest, growing together in this beautiful, powerful kind force that God wants to use to transform our community. We're seeing some really great results coming on in terms of life change, and we're going to celebrate some of that next week, but I can hardly wait to see how much more God's going to do through us in the coming year, how many more lives He's going to touch, how He's going to use us together to bring light and life and color and confidence and power to people's lives where they feel weak. Because they all of a sudden identify with a God who says, I have my immeasurable power behind you. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for all that you're doing among us. We are so grateful to be called your children. We're so grateful for the gift of your Holy Spirit to us, that you make yourself real to us, that you make that power real among us. Lord, we ask that you would come and continue to make that even more real that you would release the power of your Spirit through each and every one of us to bring your kindness, to bring your grace, to bring your glory, to bring your healing, to bring people uh, to the place where they realize that you're offering them to be your son and your daughter, your prized possession, to guarantee a beautiful life, to guarantee an inheritance, to guarantee a life that's worth living. Lord, thank you that those are your promises to us. And Lord, we declare them over ourselves. We ask that you would lead us into that, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, if you're here, I want you to respond as we continue to worship in a couple different ways. If you're here and you uh, have walked away from the church in the past and you're thinking about checking it out or you're uncertain about your faith and thinking about, well, maybe I need to see if I can become certain about it, I want to invite you to talk to one of our elders or prayer people who will be at the back over here after the service or during the worship set actually now, even they'll be there available. If you came to the get day and you uh, have something you want to be prayed for, then any time during the worship set, go ahead and respond. Just go back and ask somebody to pray for you and we'd be happy to do that. And uh, other than that, let's Let's allow this worship to put voice to our own voices, to join in the worship and the song, to begin to declare the truth of who God is in our lives and experience His presence coming to us through this music. Um, I felt like uh, I felt like God wants two things. Um, in response from some of you. If you're here today and you uh, would describe yourself as being in that place of not being hopeful about prayer, I want to encourage you to pray. I want to encourage you to pray with other people, maybe even today. Um, I also felt like uh, God may be saying there's somebody here who uh, that hopefulness for you is actually described as an, in your own mind or in your own reality, if you were to admit it, would be a really strong sense of bitterness. You see, God wants to even meet us in that bitterness. Even when the bitterness is directed towards him because of a disappointing, unfair thing in the past, he wants to meet us in that bitterness and release us to still declare the truth and receive the inheritance he wants us to have. And I want want to encourage you specifically today, if that's you, would you not leave without getting somebody to pray for you? God bless. Have a great week.
Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at go to quest.org.